if I miss anything right now, it's I actually can't believe how much I miss being able to give people hugs, like friends of mine. Um, that's weird. It's weird not to. Hey, everybody. It's Chris Gerard. I'm the founder of Rome, and welcome to the Rome from Home podcast, co-hosted by my friend, Corey Richards. We're going to be talking to some of the greatest minds in adventure about how they are adjusting, adapting, and making the most of this unprecedented time around the COVID-19 crisis. We're going to get into the good and the bad and the ugly around social distancing and how we're all experiencing this time. So tune in each week, see who we're going to bring on, and we'll go from there. Welcome, everybody. Today, we're really excited to have uh, our friend, Mr. Chris Burkard, on the show. Uh, Chris, uh, known for some time, I think we were first uh, sort of introduced him. He was an up-and-comer, which is funny to even say, but uh, he's a 26-year-old up-and-comer in surf photography that I interviewed when I was doing some work with Chase Jarvis. Um, this was nine, 10 years ago, even maybe even more. Um, and so that's where Chris first came onto my radar. And then obviously the last decade has been uh, explosive for him in terms of his following and his work. His uh, website says that he is an accomplished explorer, photographer, creative director, speaker, and author. Uh, he's um, known for images that are punctuated by untamed, powerful landscapes. And through social media, he strives to share his vision of wild places with millions of people to inspire them to explore for themselves. His visionary perspectives have earned him opportunities to work on a global prominent campaigns with Fortune 500 clients. He's been on the TEDx stage. Um, he designs his own product lines. He has education products. The guy is just incredibly prolific, um, super creative. He's an author. Uh, in fact, uh, just did a post the other day uh, uh, on his children's book, which um, I have right here. It's my son's favorite. You can see it's well-loved um, children's book uh, that he gave to me in 2017. Um, and with that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mr. Chris Burkard and Corey Richards. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. I got to say, um, <laughs> it's so awkward hearing any kind of intro, especially, you know, in, uh, in front of, you know, someone like Corey, who's, I think I would consider maybe one of the most honest voices in the outdoor industry and, and somebody who, you know, is, is so prolific themselves. I always, I always chuckle inside cause I'm like, I, don't, I feel like in many ways I've just, you know, been playing the imitation game for the last decade and, and kind of have just accepted fully that, um, that, uh, you know, there's an element of work that, forces any creative to be kind of like fake it to make it and I've just been able to fake it better than the rest of them so I suddenly I got a seat at the table I mean this is a funny way to start the conversation and I'm sure you guys can both relate but like I think there's a lot of opportunities that were given to me like speaking on the TED stage for example where there were doors opened to me that I was not qualified to walk through but I did anyways and that's been kind of a mind-blowing experience and to be here now yeah it's an honor and it's uh, i'm grateful to be a part of the, the rome team and whatnot so yeah thanks for having me we're happy to have you both you guys are have done ted talks i i actually haven't done a ted talk i've never uh, i've never i've i've not graced that stage and and so 
in so many ways, I'm just jealous of Chris. This is really actually a funny conversation because, well, I want to back up though. Like, so, cause I get it. Like bios are really awkward. They're the weirdest thing. You know, you're standing on the side of the stage or something or like on a podcast and people are just reading words that have been written about you. So like maybe a better, like, how do you, I think it's really telling how people introduce themselves. So how would you, like if Chris hadn't read it, what would you say about yourself? Uh, me? I mean, yeah, that's a, good, that's a good question. You know, it's a lot of it comes down to self-worth. I mean, and, and as I mean, I struggle, I've struggled with that for years and trying to like understand that these accolades are maybe earned or whatever. But I think in anything, I just, I like, I've told people, I'm like, all that stuff is BS all those titles. I just want to be a storyteller. And whether, you know, Chris is a storyteller and he uses all kinds of mediums to tell stories. Sometimes those stories are told to his kids in bed. Sometimes those are told to millions of people via social media or films or whatever. And I think that if anything, that's all I strive to do. And um, it's brought me some success. In, and I guess that's really it. But yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> I think that's, that's the way I put it. So. So, so just for a little bit of background for people who don't know, like, where did you, so, we, so you're a photographer, but you're so much more than that, obviously. Where did it start? Because like, like CJ said, you know, he met you over 10 years ago as an up and comer. And then all of a sudden, myself included, everybody was like, who the fuck is this guy? And like, how did he get so many followers? Not that that's an act, you know, not that that's a metric that we want to ascribe too much to, but like. How did this all happen and how did it happen so quickly? Well, it's, it's interesting because I, I feel like I came from the surf world, right? That's, that was my, my background. I'm, I'm, I live at the beach. I'm at the beach now. Um, the beach was like a babysitter growing up. So my mom would drop me off and I would stay there all day with two bucks and she'd pick me up later. And so I, I grew up with this sort of understanding of the ocean. And it was my first canvas. And I, I worked for surf magazines for almost nine, ten years for different ones. So I, when I, I mean, I, what I would say is that maybe the introduction to say Chris and, and you um, could have been because I was shooting in the surf world for magazines. I started working for Patagonia and Patagonia provided me these awesome opportunities to shoot other sports. Um, I was mostly on staff on a retainer to shoot surfing, but I started climbing and Jane Siebert, who I'm sure you know, was a, you know, took me out climbing the Joshua tree on my first trips. And, you know, I was out there, just mine was blown and I, I became more and more interested in climbing and obviously was introduced to you via North Face, um, being an athlete for them. And so I kind of tried to wiggle my way sort of into that industry, um, not knowing much about it, being very green, being a yuppie, you know, of course. And, and, um, and I think that coming from the surf world, what I did have an understanding of was how editorial worked, meaning that I was constantly trying to like share my images with other athletes, uh, other surfers with the magazine. So I think when social media came around in 2012, I already had this sort of vision in mind, meaning like after every trip, I would give hundreds of photos to all the athletes and all the brands and they'd be sharing them and I'd be sharing them. And so there was this, this kind of, um, this sort of resharing uh, demographic sort of idea that was happening already. And it was kind of a perfect storm, right? Media was just taking off and just using these platforms to figure out for themselves. And um, I had a good footing because I had so many photographs and, and you can relate 
so many photographs from stories. And this is what I love about social media is that there are so much that happens that we never get to see the light of day because Nat Geo only has so many pages and you shot 10,000 images. Mm-hmm. I mean, what happened to the rest of those, you know? And so I would use um, Blogspot, Facebook, this is pre-social media, newsletters as a way to like tell deeper stories about what happened on these trips. And, and that was really the impetus of my experience there. And I think it's, it's what I strive to do today. Now there's a lot of other you know, merchandise and this and that and, you know, influence this, the stuff that can happen from that. But I think that was the perfect storm. And I would say that I started that at the right time. Maybe. So do, do you think like, this just, that's funny. There's so many things that you said in there that I can relate to. And like, I wonder how many people Jane Seaver started their careers. Um, like, I, I literally, yeah. I've actually talked, this is a funny story, but I'm sorry to cut you off, but I've talked to, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. He's Austin Sidak about how how important a story about her, Jane Siebert, would be. Because as an editor, I mean, Jimmy, Renan, Corey, Corey, like all of these people have these heartfelt, meaningful stories about, I mean, Jane was like a mom, you know, to me, more than just an editor. She was somebody that I didn't feel, you know, if there's a dude and they're an editor, there's always a little bit of like kind of like bravado, but she was just so forthcoming with knowledge and, and it's, she's always been behind the scenes. She's, she's got a photographer. Elaborate just for the, uh, for the listeners as to who. Yeah. So Jane, and I'll let you give your thing, but Jane was the, was and is still involved. She was the longtime photo editor at Patagonia who really helped um, sort of, I think, keep the vision of what the brand was supposed to be. And she's, a big part of the reason why the catalogs and the, the wet, everything looks so gritty and real and, and photojournalistic. And I think that she, a lot of guys uh, and gals who, who ended up shooting for Nat Geo, she kind of gave them some of their first assignments and sort of, I think, helped navigate them into that style of work from a climbing, surfing, and maybe outdoors perspective. You know, I'd love to hear Corey's like experience with her and how that well, I mean, I mean, it's similar. It's very, very similar to yours. And it's, I mean, my story is submitting to Jane and, and then having her, you know, of course, reject most of my first submissions because they were crap. And you also made a comment about like, what happens to the other photos of the 60,000 that you shoot for, for an article for Nat Geo. And the truth is, like the 12 that show up in the magazine are my 12 best ones, because the rest of them are garbage. You seem to have a more of an ability, you and Keith and there's a group of you guys that are just like, they're all bangers. And I'm like, how, how do people pull that much good photography out of an assignment where I'm like eking by with my 12 to 15? But I, I'm curious, like <clears throat> in this moment, because there's so much, when we come back and we revisit, you know, you in the longer form podcast that is, that I really want to dive into your work and sort of the ethos around it and how it's informed and where your influences came from. But, but right now, like when, when we've all sort of been forced to take this stop, this moment, um, speaking about both your personal life and your professional life, what is coming up for you? Like, how is that? Are you getting feedback on your social channels? Um, are people, uh, what are you noticing right now? Like, and how are you filling your days? I mean, that's a great, excellent question. And a lot of that ties into the importance of our mental health right now and how, you know, how important it is to take a step back and look at 
life and what's important. And, and in many ways, I feel, I mean, I, I definitely had a, uh, some anxiety. I've had a lot of anxiety, mainly because I've closed the doors to my studio. And that's been a really awkward experience to all of a sudden have a studio with employees and have to close my doors. Sorry, there's some construction going on within this office here, so there might be some noise. Um, but yeah, closing the doors, that was like detrimental internally. Like nothing's hurting or wounded or anything, but just knowing that like I can't go to work and have this team that I've built, that was really weird feeling. And honestly, this has been an amazing exercise in um, sitting down, looking at what I want my next year to look like. Because I personally feel like what's going to happen happen is that you know brands still have to advertise people still have to um you know put out marketing campaigns and i think that post all of this the spike in work is going to to elevate and and while a lot of us are stressed right now um it's going to be equally as stressful deciding which jobs to go on and which not to and i don't know about you but coming from a situation where like I grew up really blue collar and my dad would always say yes to every opportunity that came our way. Like we never turned down work. And so in the last couple of years, I've had to learn, relearn. And I talked about this on Chase Jarvis's podcast a little bit, but how to say no to certain things. And, and ultimately by saying no, you're kind of saying yes. And so that's been like a really like I, every job that comes up, every opportunity, I'm kind of like trying to think about, is this serving me mentally, physically? Like, which, which category does it fall into? Is it personal? Is it for money? Is it for the betterment of my, my family or business or whatever? So this break, this forced break, is an opportunity for me to, first of all, try to serve other people by providing or giving something like, a, you know, my children's book or things that I think can inspire people while they're stuck at home. And secondly, it can give me an opportunity to recollect, like, what do I want that next year to look like? And I might have been like, dude, I, I, yeah, I had 20 jobs get canceled. Why did I have 20 jobs get canceled? Because I said yes to way too many things. I stretched myself way too thin. And that version of me is the worst version of me for the general public, for my family, for my clients. Like, that's unfortunate. And I think that this has been a much-needed break. And I think that it's been really healthy, I guess. What what did your dad do? That was an interesting like. He, yeah, he was a landscaper. He still is a landscaper. He's my my stepdad. So my my biological father passed away before I was born, and my mom got married when I was twelve, and um you know brought my my stepdad, who's an absolute legend and, and hardest working guy I know, and um, two stepbrothers, two stepbrothers into the mix, and so that was a that was a crazy dynamic to be like whoa family's huge and. Um, and I watched my dad just basically like, you know, work by the sweat of his brow every day, nonstop mowing lawns, doing like, you know, basically, um, landscape architecture, things like that for uh, this, just for our family. And, you know, we, we lived like in very, very humble terms. And, and prior to that, it was just me and my mom. Um, so I guess that example to me, like that's all I've ever known was work and I would say that I'm a workaholic, self-professed. Like I just, there's no other way around it. And so this, I mean, for other people, maybe this is like, oh my gosh, I'm home, I'm great. But I woke up the day that I closed my office and I like wanted to just cry. I was just, just like, like everything I've worked for now I can't even use or utilize. And that is 
detrimental for somebody that's built so much of who they are around that sort of thing. So again, I'm, I'm, this is something I'm dealing with now and I'm talking about it because I think it's important, but it's so important to recognize, and you, you've been a big advocate of this, mental health and, and communicating with people and, and trying to seek advice that I, I think for me, it's a big portion of like, I don't want to wrap up my identity in this space or in my business or who I am. And because, you know, when I go home at night, my kids, they don't care that I didn't go to the studio or the office or make $100,000 today or $1,000 or a hundred. They just are like, when are you going to come home and wrestle us? You know? So that's been a big eye opener. And this has been maybe a healing experience for me. And it's just one way of looking at it. And I know I'm chatting, I'm just talking a lot, but I, I want to say one other thing, which is that how important is it? We talked about all these sort of hats we wear, like the accolades, like the speaker, the author, the blah, blah, blah. To be honest, that's so important because if you and I, if you were just Corey, the photographer, or Corey, the athlete, or Corey, the speaker, if you wore one of those hats and your whole self-worth and identity was wrapped up in that one thing, it would be so hard during a time like this to be like, well, as a speaker, I can't go speak because I can't congregate with people. Um, as an author, you know, so finding other ways and other ways to communicate your talents and your time, that's so critical. So, um, so yeah, that's a long-winded answer to a short question. So. No, no, I mean, that's the whole point of this. We're not, like, we're here to listen to your ideas, right? And I think people are obviously fascinated by the ideas that you have. You have a massive um, following following in, in, not just in social, but just, I mean, people are interested in what you're doing. So, I mean, the whole point is to listen to you talk. So, but I think you bring up something really interesting uh, about diversification. Uh, there's a lot of, um, th there's a lot of drive these days to be really, you know, specialized in one field. And I think we, we hit on this briefly the other day with Kotler, um, but I, I've always been more of a generalist. I'm like, I'd rather be really good at a lot of things than super great at one thing and not good at anything else. And, and, and you just brought it up in terms of like, maybe this is a time to ultimately allow people to diversify in some ways. I mean, is that what you were kind of getting at? Yeah. I, and it's funny because I, I, I'm a big advocate of, of definitely specializing and being the best at what you do, because I think that's how you get hired by editors. Like you have a skill set. You're a really, really talented, you know, Paul Nicklin, you know, he's the best at shooting under Antarctic ice. Yes, he can shoot great Afghan portraiture, but he's hired because he loves this one thing and that's what he does. But I do think that once you kind of build that specialty, like yourself, maybe, you know, like incredible climber, you have access to places other people don't, you know, you can work in high altitudes, et cetera, et cetera then you can take that and you can expand upon that and it allows you to have other assignments. So I've kind of found that like being a specialist at first and then allowing yourself to expand your portfolio for me has been really beneficial. But to answer your question, kind of what I'm saying is that um, too, is that right now there's never been a better time to maybe expand upon different ways to tell those stories. Like, I, so I was giving somebody advice I'm like, Oh, what should I do with my time? I'm like, take your top 20 images and write a 500 word essay about each image because your portfolio 
when you share it with somebody, the only thing I care about is I want to hear somebody tell me about each image and why it was meaningful. Because me telling someone an image is great or it's not means nothing. If they have, if it moves them to speak and to share and have excitement and joy, then that image is meaningful. And so I, I guess looking at different ways in which we can um, take what we do, like as a photographer, and try and apply that to speaking or artwork or um, like writing a book, like write, write down your thoughts and feelings. Um, and so I guess I'm always looking at how time can be used to, to work on hone other skills. You know, I know you spoke a lot on stage and that's a muscle, you know, and I, I, would, I would wonder how much you've had to work that muscle, flex that muscle, like when you're training for Everest, you know, I think it's a different, it's a different type of exercise, but it requires the same, the same sense of focus. So, I mean, that, that kind of brings up another question. Well, first of all, I'm really fascinated. What's going on in the background there? There's like drills going in and I'm, I'm not really bothered by it. I'm just curious. Yeah, it's, um, I'm, I'm redoing a climbing wall in my studio um, because I've been kind of, there's a lot of people are laid off and I have some friends at the local climbing gym who literally are, you know, they're, they're setters. And I was like, Hey, if you don't have anything going on, come to my office. I have a little climbing wall that I train on. And um, I was like, reset my wall. So I could just like, you know, give a friend a couple hours of work, you know? Right. So, um, so you're sorry just, about that. You're <laughs> installing out. a climbing wall. So that tells us something else that you're doing to, to occupy your time right now is uh is just trying to stay fit i mean it does it, it does that kill you like I, I know i struggle with it a lot um just being uh well i guess a better question is how are you staying active right now i mean i i i was talking to my wife about this last night but like we don't own a fancy car we bought you know we we redid our garage to make a workout room right we we, we have you know i have my bike that i ride indoors on Zwift or I'll ride out to my, you know, back and forth around my house. She's got her Peloton. I have a climbing wall that I invested in five years ago. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like, I'm trying to do all the things I would normally do, ride my bike, weight train, um, climb, but obviously to a lesser degree because I don't have the awesome gym available. I don't want to go ride a huge mega ride somewhere and put myself at risk right now. So I'm, I'm trying to stay sane. And the beauty is that a lot of these things, you know, aren't super unapproachable, you know, like getting a trainer, a bike trainer, and then being able to meet up with friends digitally is really easy. You can do it on your phone and with like a tiny little, you know, Wahoo or a TACX train. Like, that's great. And I, I've been able to like do group rides with friends and then call each other. And, and I think everything shut down else. The, uh, you've shut down the long rides right now. Um, yeah, I, I've shut down the risky ones. I did a 150-mile ride this Saturday, but I was, like, on my coastal road that I, I like, not that far from my house, right? So you not rode 150 miles on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, that's, like, I try to keep doing some long endurance rides. Mellow, and, dude. That's mellow. Yeah, yeah. drop that in. It was, it was rad because, like, there was not a lot of cars on the road. You know, I'm not going out of cell service. There's certain, like, risks. And I, I've done that, like, 50 times, so it's not, like, this is new and, and scary. I, I woke up at 3 a.m., went for a ride, came home by noon, and I was like, I'm done, and I'm good because it's going to rain for five days. So, so how long does that take you? Just like, how long? Yeah, um, about eight, it took me eight hours and 15 minutes to ride 150 miles. That's with not a lot of climbing. But when I was training for this really long endurance ride in Iceland, 
and a couple other rides around the U.S. Like I had last year, I really focused on ultra endurance cycling. Um, I would ride probably like eight, 800 to maybe 300 miles a week. And usually that was like one big ride on the weekend or three big rides or two. So I, nowadays I'm just kind of doing it for maintenance so that I could, um, I could still jump in the saddle and have a big day and go experience something. I love that 150 miles is maintenance. Yeah. And how yeah. You, if you're not going on those rides, Chris, like, and you're saying you're, you're training at home when you get on a trainer, I mean, it's like an hour. I just spend an hour. No, I would like lose my mind. If I, was on a <laughs> I would lose my mind. Honestly, for me, it's more about, I don't know. I, I you know, I'd be interested to hear what, what your guys' regimen is because I'm, I'm looking for ideas, but usually I'm like, I'll ride a bike every day for at least 30 minutes to an hour. And then every other day I'm usually doing like yoga and weight training or weight training and core or something like that to like mix it up. And I just get too bored, you know, and I, I used to like focus on one big day a week. Like I'm going to take half a day or a morning or a weekend and do like a mega gravel ride or a mega bike ride or, or go surf somewhere or something like that. So, yeah. I mean, I've just been, I've just been doing like CrossFit workouts at home. I just find yeah. them to be the most effective or I'll go to that. You know, what did you do go, today, Corey? What did I do today? Uh, I mean, that's exactly what I did today it was a CrossFit, you know, I was, but it was a kettlebell circuit. So I was just, you, do you like the kettlebells. I've been like, I have one and I've been thinking about getting like a set. Do you like them more than free weights? Cause I have a free weight set, but I'm kind of like the kettlebells seem a little more like you can do more with them. They're just, they just provide different movements. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's like there's, I don't think it's an either or thing at all. Um, Hey, I've got a, I've got a really interesting question and it's something yeah. that actually is more connected to my, well, I think it's interesting, more connected to my childhood. So I, I grew up in Salt Lake city and I grew up, um, my dad was raised Mormon LDS and there's, so I grew up culturally Mormon. He left the church when he was young. Is there a, and you're, are you LDS? Is that right? Or were you just raised yeah. LDS? No, no, I am. I am. Okay. Absolutely. So, so and I don't want to harp on faith. I'm just curious. Is there something around that community? Do you notice that community coming together in a unique way right now? I'm just curious about what's like, what communities of faith are doing. Are they, are they more prepared for this or, and, and how's that I mean, playing into it's, it's funny. You no, I mean, you're spot on. It's, it's funny because, you know, obviously most of a lot of my childhood, it was like a joke, like, Oh, you have, two years of food storage in your house like why do you why do you have two years of food storage in your house and I'm like because we were told to and so you know I mean now really to me I think one of the most beautiful things about that religion is that it's not so much that we have food storage because we need it for us and only us it's because our neighbors or people we care about or people we want to serve like I want to help people if if the shit hits the fan and that's just the reality like um, yeah, I've got a food storage, so I feel really prepared. I know my parents do. Um, it's like the ultimate, like, uh, you know, uh, breathe for yourself. Pre first. Preppers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like crazy preppers. But the reality is like, I mean, they're mostly just like rice and beans in a big bin somewhere. But more than that, I think that the advice to like live within your means and maybe like not like that, that's been really helpful. So having a cushion, like it's the only way my business is able to get through this is because I didn't, 
I've really tried to be crucial about the trips I'm doing or the money I'm spending. And I've seen like religions really band together and we, you know, obviously we don't have church anymore. There's no church uh, gatherings. Um, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but that's what we've been told. And it's been really cool to just have the inspiration to like check in on people you care about, friends, loved ones in and out of the church. And I've never had a, had a more close experience in the last couple of weeks than with a lot of people that I would never have called or talked to and just checking in on them for no other reason than like, Hey, how's your mental health? How's everything? Can I do something for you? It's also been a really good experience. And just to get a little personal here is like to show my kids, my boys, like that, whatever you believe religiously, like I don't, I, you know, I, I, I don't discriminate. I'm, I'm all for everybody doing their own thing, but to show people that, that religion doesn't exist within the four walls of a church building. Religious is some religion is something that can exist in your home right here and being able to share that with them on, on Sunday has been really validating. Um, and just understand that like, Hey, when we go serve somebody, when we go help somebody, that's pure religion in my mind. And that's, I think at the core of any, of any, um, you know, beautiful, you know, religious group is, is the service they can provide. So yeah, it's been pretty rad to see, like we have a network that's kind of telling each other who needs what and understanding. That's really cool, man. That's really actually, I, I mean, that's just a, I got asked some questions recently about sobriety, which, you know, sobriety is not religion, but for some people it kind of becomes that in a way to help them get through those early, you know, those early years. Um, and, and I guess that's a really, interesting point that you know it's not about the four walls where you go and have the meeting it's about the community that 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 lives within those four walls and that community sort of expands outward regardless um that's a good lesson though that's an interesting thought um i mean it's how are you like again i don't want to get too personal about it i think it's an interesting I'm always in our longer podcast i want to dive into it a little bit more and talk about how maybe it's informed your art uh, because I do believe how I do believe that the way we're brought up and spiritually specifically does inform the pictures that we make and the stories that we oh. tell, but let's put a pin in that one. Um, but is it, I mean, are you guys sort of, do you have an online crew that's, that's helping sort of organize? I mean, I, I don't even know. I don't, it's what's happening there. Yeah. There's sort of like a text thread. There's an email chain, you know, there's the, the cool thing, like whether it's, church wise or just community wise there's like you know my 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 wife and i have gotten tried to get really involved in like the resources that i think our religion offers online showing our kids videos keeping them apprised of what's going on helping them not have fear but have a healthy respect for what's happening right and in the community too like me and my wife kind of took taking a stand to be like okay if someone calls you i i don't want to hear the conversation going straight to like oh did you read the news or oh did you hear this because that that spreading of fear and that anxiousness is is not helpful to anybody spreading of useful information where you can get tested where you can get checked what the rules are that's excellent but i i'm a big proponent of like you know faith is an important thing in our lives whatever you believe in doesn't matter doesn't have to be a religion um and replacing faith with um you know replacing fear with faith is an important thing and i think there are more hopeful more joyous more just overall good things we can be spending our time doing, like lifting up other people. Maybe. I love that. How are you talking about it with, with your kids, Chris? Like, Shoot, man. That's, yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah. How are I mean, your kids? 
selfishly, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like, eat all your food tonight because we might, be able to, we might not be able to go to the grocery store. So you better eat all that. And the kids are like, oh my God, like I'm you know, going to eat it all. And uh, so there's like, we're definitely kind of using it to our advantage. That's totally a selfish parental thing. But, um, and then in addition to that, just trying to like let them understand like why they can't see grandma. Like I'm not even seeing my own parents. They live less than a mile away from me. Um, and they're on acreage and they're, they're taking protocols, but I'm like, I'm, it's, it's real, you know, like I'm not letting my kids be exposed to my parents or their, their, their mother-in-law or my mother-in-law or anything. So, um, it's really hard. You know, they come over and we like keep a distance and they're like, we love you. We'll do FaceTime. We'll share videos. I personally want them to like, I want this to like plant a seed because maybe you guys can speak to this too, but this is the first time for many Americans for many people in the West where they're feeling what it's like just ever so slightly, you know, I don't want these words to be taken the wrong way, but what it's like to live in a second and third world country where you don't have access to food at every single second of the day. You don't have access to travel every single moment. Like this is something that changed my life as a youth traveling and seeing that. And I feel like this is a wake up call. And I, I want my kids to understand like that this is a real thing. And that there is a little bit of caution, concern, fear that their parents have about it. I want to speak openly about it, but I don't want them to like go into a tailspin about what's going to happen. And, you know, oh my gosh, is this person going to die or not? Be like, no, this is fine, but we're just taking precautions. So it's been, I think it's a healthy thing if managed correctly. I think that they feed off of our energy, you know, they feed off of our actions. And if, if we are stable and level-headed about it, then they would. Wow. How old are they again, Chris? Yeah. I have a five and a seven-year-old. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, gonna remember it for sure. I mean, it's gonna define a lot of generations in terms of of this this moment that we're all going through together. It's a, it's a, yeah. It's it's been a challenge. I have a four-year-old. He'll be four this week, and we're talking about wow. you know doing, you know, when you're four, like your birthday is basically like everything yeah. you know like Dude, yeah. poor kid march birthdays that sucks yeah. i'm the march birthday. yeah well, i saw that happy belated birthday you're the 12th eh? uh yeah, yeah th- i literally had dinner with with family and, and like just small group of family and friends right before the on the 11th and like on the 12th i was supposed to fly to iceland that morning on the 12th and they, they put in the travel ban and I was like, I'm not going. And uh, all the restaurants shut down. It was crazy. Like just how much occurred on that day. So, yeah, we're talking about trying to do a, you know, like this, like a zoom birthday party for him with family and friends and stuff. Uh, That's awesome. You know, I, love I, I mean, I feel like we, you can't reschedule the birthday. No. So we're trying to figure it out, but everybody's trying to figure it out. Um, yeah. It's a, it's definitely interesting with, with little kids on, on how to not, not promote any fear, like you said, but yeah. also be real, real about it, you know? Um, I mean, and sometimes that's how you need to talk to adults too. <laughs> what were you going to say, Corey? Well, no, I mean, I, I, there's this, there's this element of fear. We keep talking about it. I mean, it's getting talked about in the media as well. Isn't a little bit of fear healthy? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think I mean, so. I think, it's about, I think it's about how it manifests, you know, like, isn't, isn't fear all about how you manifest it? If, 
if for some people fear manifests in anxiousness and they need to like, you know, basically be taking pills to deal with it. Like I, my wife had a lot of anxiety when we got married super young and she, um, you know, she lost her dad at a young age and, and that manifests in a lot of anxiety and there was fear around certain things. So it, it was challenging in that regard, but, but she turned to like yoga and meditation to deal with that. And it was amazingly healthy. It benefited her whole life. So yeah, I would say fear did help that. But I, I think in some ways, some people cope with fear in a very different way. So I think it's all a matter of our coping mechanisms maybe. And, it's like but I do saying fear, fear is a healthy thing. I think sometimes it's just a taboo word that we don't like to say, but we all feel it and we all think it and we all use it to our advantage. I use it to drive me to do certain things sometimes. Of course, yeah. It's just about the line of feasting on it. Because right now you could, as you were saying, and I think it's good practice right now, like these little media fasts and not just diving into the news cycle and looking at what's the, what are the latest numbers? What's the latest state to do what? Um, I mean, it's important to stay informed, but you can really feast on it. And that can go to a place that isn't helpful to anyone, I think. Yeah. I was like swiping left on my phone to like look at the news thing like two to three times a day. And I told my wife, I'm like, I'm only gonna look at this for five minutes at night, that's it. And, and if I can just get my information from her, great. I don't wanna spend my time doing that. Like the hour that I spent reading the news, I, I could have done something much more effective with this and done an Instagram live and like talked about somebody's portfolio or helped them. I'm just, it's a matter of how you translate that. And this is so addicting. I mean, this is the most, you know, the, the most addicting device that we've ever had in our lives. And so I think that it's opportunity to spread good or spread negativity is now more polarizing than ever. It's a, it's a, there's somebody, it might've been Jeremy Collins, who's another artist in, in our community who would also actually be a great person to have on. Um, but he, he made the distinction between, be, between being affected and infected, um, which I think is a really beautiful distinction with social media. And I mean, you have a, how many, like, what's your Instagram following now? That's just, I don't even know. I think, I think social media is right somewhere around 4 million with all, all these channels that we try to operate on now, which is, it's weird to me. I don't even understand it. Um, I get anxiety just trying to think about communicating to that many people and not messing up or saying something stupid or being politically incorrect or something like that. Well, how do you, like, how do you manage that? Because obviously when you've got 4 million people with their eyes on you and you have an opinion about something like how do you manage the sort of the feedback that you get from from, yeah. from those from from that audience and also do you notice a difference in tone specifically right now yeah i mean i think right now people are more accepting of the fact that or not more accepting they're 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 looking for authenticity now more than ever you know and I mean, when this crisis hit, I was, I, I mean, I'll tell you, honestly, I was immediately like, oh my gosh, what can people do to help my small business survive? You know, should I be promoting this or promoting that or whatever? And, and then I was like, my wife and I had a chat. She's always kind of like my, my rock, my like sounding voice. And she's like, you know what? You really need to be focusing on what you can put out there to help people get through this. And, and that's kind of what inspired me to like do a podcast with her about relationships because I've always had those questions come up you know, read the, my book and, and share just other tools or things. So, um, 
I think that's been a huge part of it. Um, I think that the tone and, and, and the way that I try to communicate is that, yeah, I want to have an opinion. I mean, to be honest, like one of the big reasons I respect you is you have an opinion and you, you share that opinion based on experience. So it's real and it's raw brands in and of themselves like Patagonia. Like one of my favorite quotes from Yvonne Chouinard is if you're not pissing off 50% of people, you're not doing your job, which is so true because as a brand, Patagonia stands for something. They don't try to appeal to everyone. And I, I kind of feel the same way. Like if my work, if my opinion appeals to everybody, that just means I don't stand for anything. And if you don't stand for anything, you fall for everything, right? So I think in many ways I, I have viewpoints on, you know, uh, you know, the American West and public lands and the environment and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and relationships and religion. I mean, these are all things I, I tend not to, um, not to carry on this biblical theme, but I tend not to cast my pearls before swine, so to say, uh, meaning that I really want people to know where my intentions are coming from. And so if I do touch on a heavy subject, I want to make sure it's very, understood very clearly and not taken out of context and what a beautiful thing now that if you do an interview and somebody does take something out of context you can rebuttal that via your own channels and really give people your own voice how do you i mean just i think this is part of the larger narrative too but now that we're all sitting here and we're all sort of forced into this yeah. you know we're forced into a moment of, of quiet which i think we all needed in general but it probably gives a lot of people, and I've noticed this too, you know, I've been, I've been on social media more recently. And because of that, I'm seeing, you know, more negativity, like more negative comments. How do you deal with, I actually agree with you that people are actually, they seem to be more accepting in this moment, but for some reason, the negativity pops to the surface for me. It's like the, the blinking, yeah. you know? You know, I'm so, so bad about that. Like I'm so sensitive and I just, I, I, I agree it does, it rises to the surface. But I also try to like, I also try to consider the fact that people are frustrated, they're at home, you know, all of those issues or things that they're dealing with are just being kind of um, in many ways polarized or, or made worse. So um, I try to always see it from the other person, person's perspective and I always try if I can, if somebody has a legitimate question or concern or whatever, I try to like tell them, hey, email me or DM me. Like if you really want to open a dialogue, I would be happy to because I would be happy to understand your opinion. I think that for me at least, you know, I've, I've taken the time to like read the books, like, you know, how to win friends and influence people and part two and part three, and just like understanding that people generally just want to be heard. And if you approach, I think community, if you approach this tool, this, this tool, social media, what have you as it's very purest form, which is just a communication tool. All Instagram is, is a texting tool. That's all it is. It's glorified texting. And I think that when we realize people always ask, like, how do I, how do I find more followers? And I'm like, well, do you like people? And they're like, not really. I don't really, you know, I'm like, well, you're not going to find success because this is about connecting with people. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the hard things is that when people, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is why, you're, why this is happening, I'm just saying in general, if for me, like the times when I'm like, oh man, I don't want to interact with people, but I'm just sharing this thing to get it out there and like, 
I realize like that's not the intention. And if I if it forces me to like not use the app for a week or ten days or three days or four days, great. Um, but I really want to go in there thinking like I'm intending to communicate with people and I'm intending to give up my time um, because it's valuable to me. And I think that that's just the approach I've taken it as. And yeah, it it can be sensitive. And there are a lot of days where I just have to take like a week off or five days off. But I. I don't know. There's no real right answer there. That's a really tough one. I think that um, in the end, it's like your voice matters a lot. And I think that the moment that we kind of have to we tell ourselves that, I think it helps a bit. But so what, I mean, that's, that I, I'm going to bring it because that's like 4 million people. But then the other day you did a podcast about relationships and, and I'm really curious as like, as a husband, as a dad, what are you, how are you managing the stress of, of not having your other outlets right now? Cause I think for a lot of people, yeah. a lot of well, people, this, can't this is an outlet, like this is rad. I'm, I'm so stoked to do this because here's the thing, um, on my website, like this week, I've been able to take my whole studio. We've like d- divided out different things we want to get done. One of the things I wanted to do is take all the podcasts I've done and put them into a list. So people have a resource. And understand that like Chris Burkhardt as a, as a, I don't know what you'd call it as a speaker or a teacher or a interviewee or whatever. This is another form of storytelling because I'm sharing my story and, and we're interacting. And I think that this is valuable to me. And this, this right here helps me hone how I might communicate tough questions to um, an audience that I don't particularly know super well. And so I guess I feel like this is a creative outlet. Like if I was at home right now, just trying to answer emails, I would be frustrated. But doing this makes me happy. It makes me stoked. It, it does challenge me in a good way. I think that you are a great interviewer and I know you're like holding back a lot of like your, your, your best questions for a longer form one, I know that. Um, but that's a beautiful thing. Like I'm just trying, I, I agree. Like I put down the camera a long time ago in terms of what defined me as a creative person. And I tried to pick up other mediums, again, um, writing a book or doing this and that, or even like an ath- as an athlete in some way, I spent most of my life chasing around professional athletes, trying to keep up, never really being able to keep up. So realizing that I had to take time, like right now, training, being like, hey, when this rolls around, I'm going to be like as fit as possible so I could, you know, go and do a super badass trip with somebody. So I, I guess... I'm trying to pick up different hats and wear those right now. And the camera is just not really one of them. And I feel super comfortable with that. That's interesting. Is it, and like with your, with your wife, I mean, cause I, I really, cause a lot of people don't have even this outlet, you know, I'm so curious to, 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 right. to know what you sort of, I know we're running short on time and I don't want to eat up too much of it. I just like, right. you got, if, if, if you could wrap this up, like, in this moment, we are a little stuck. What are your big takeaways? Your big takeaways is about what's happening on the planet, your big takeaways about parenting, and your big takeaways about art and relationships. Dude, those are like three of the biggest questions ever. Um, Art and relationships, I would say that, um, man, you know, relationship, all it is is a painting that you you have to touch up every day. And I think it's one of those things where I have, I personally have run the risk of having my relationship with the love of my life become a partnership 
and parenting become a partnership. And so to everybody out there who's kind of in that, those doldrums right now where you're like taking care of your kids and they're at home and this is all new, like I would just say finding moments or time to like keep the, the spark, the love alive and, and understanding that that requires constant communication and the refinement of communication. Um, to me, that's like everything. My, my wife is as much a part of my, my artistry as anything because she's been there for a really long time and she supported me through all the hectic, awkward stages of my career. And so I think that being able to have somebody you can express your dreams and aspirations to is really important. And if you don't, learning how to communicate, getting the tools to do that. Like this is a better time than ever to work on relationships because you're stuck together a lot of times. Um, so, so applying those tools, um, you know, books have helped me, the five love languages, um, marriage 365. I've done a lot of counseling myself and with my wife. So there are counselors out there that would be great to do that. Um, that's kind of more deep and heavy. Sorry. Um, but the state of the world, the state of the world, I'm, I'm, I'm super hopeful. I'm, I'm always glasses half full. Like I, and more stoked than ever because right now I know that the next half of my year, like I'll be transparent. Like I've had, you know, half a million dollars worth of work canceled because of the work that I was supposed to do in these last two months. Right. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't mean that those were jobs that were going to bring me joy. You know, they might've padded my wallet a little bit, but the goal is like the next half of the year when I really have time to reflect, write out a list of everything I want to do, you know, I can, I can be so much more in control of my own future for these next six months or when this ends, right? And coming out of this, I feel very much like, it's hard not to give a, a long answer to this, but like traveling is a drug, right? We, we go to these places, we get a dopamine hit, it's exciting, everything's rad, but when you really digest these experiences is when you're home and you can reflect and you can look at the imagery and I, I've always felt like a great image is, 50% the photograph and 50% the voice you bring to it. The voice or the story is even more. So giving people, creatives, the opportunity to reflect upon those experiences and understand, like this is where my children's book has come out of. My other books that I've made, those books have been sources of income that are what are keeping me afloat at this time. So when you think about making your business recession proof, it's important to understand you can't just ride the gravy train. I've realized over the last couple of years that when the gravy train was good and when work has been the very best and it's so easy just to keep working and keep traveling, that's when I've had to stop and be like, I have time. I want to do this other thing, like make a film, make a book, whatever. That's a huge investment of my time and money so that when this economy takes a dump, I feel comfortable. And I, I know this because I've closed the doors to my office. I've had to let go of employees. I've shrunk my studio. I've grown over the last decade. This is what I've done. And I've been through the recession. So I, I'm just trying to offer as much advice to other creatives as to how to, how to think about these scenarios because, you know, can't put all your eggs in one basket, I guess. And um, I don't even remember what the other question was, but I'm sorry. I like, was babbling a lot there, but there's just so much good things that can come out of this if we see it that way. I mean, it seems to me like your message is more one of abundance versus, you know, starvation. There's a, we're in a moment where it's, it, the immediate response is, oh my God, this is a horrible thing and it sucks. And, and yet I think 
what I've heard from you over over the course of this hour is there's a lot of there's more opportunity than there is starvation right now if you can find it. And I think that's a, that's a really hopeful message. Um, it's not easy necessarily for people to receive it sometimes because especially when we're 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 wrapped up in fear, um, it's hard to hear anything. But I, I think what you're saying is like, you know, distill the fear and through it, you might find uh, that there's a lot to be offered in this moment of quiet. Right. And, and not to be cheesy, but like, there's a lot of pressure right now. Yeah. But pressure is what makes diamonds, right? So that pressure, when it's used correctly, can be incredibly valuable. And I only share a message of hope because I've been through these situations. And I'll tell you what. I think this is better than being in a situation where your business isn't thriving, but everybody else is right now. Nobody's is everybody's in the same boat. We're all stuck somewhere, right? Um, better to be stuck physically somewhere than mentally. And I think the biggest difference I want to urge people is like, Hey, you might be stuck physically, but if, if all your joy and all your emotion and all your stories are wrapped up in you doing something new and exciting, it's a good time to take the really far journey that's the internal one that leads you to understand new aspects of who you are and why you do what you do. And I mean, personally, like I think that every photographer out there can take time to write a manifesto or write a, um, write a mission statement and hope that their career forthcoming fulfills that mission statement. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm so stoked to like jump into a deeper podcast. Ideally I would just come to you guys and we could do it in, uh, in, in Boulder or something like that. But I mean, if I miss anything right now, it's, I actually can't believe how much I miss being able to give people hugs like friends of mine. Um, that's weird. It's weird not to, you know, I agree that human touch is very vacant right now and and it's noticeable, you know, like you go and yeah, I'm with you. I think it's a, I mean, look, I could talk to you for hours picking your brain about, I, you know, so much of me is just curious about emulating some of the things that you've done so successfully. But I think right now you've given everybody a lot to think about in a very hopeful way. And and I I think it's a great place to, to end it, knowing that we're going to come back, uh, get you in studio, sit down, have a heart to heart and blow open a whole bunch of shit that we just barely skimmed the surface of. But for right now, I think that's perfect. And I think there's a lot of really great stuff that people can take from it. Um, Gerard, do you have like, I appreciate the time, both of you, Corey, I could, I have like a million training questions I would love to ask you and this and that. Like, I mean, a big part of when you were training for Everest, I was training for this, this bike ride last year. And I was like, you know, it was like, look at, listen to a David Goggins podcast, look at Corey Rich's feed or something like that. Like that was, like my fuel, you know? So, um, I, I feel the same way. Um, I, I'd be, I'd be psyched to carry on that conversation. And these are the things that we don't find time to do because we're all busy and we never do. It's rad to have the time. So it's, we've been saying, Chris, uh, you know, not social distancing, physical distancing and that this is social. We talked a lot about social media, like we're really fortunate to have these mediums and tools where we can, we can try to find ways to connect. And that's what we're trying to do with this uh, sort of impromptu spontaneous podcast. And, you know, with the promise that we're going to come back and go deeper, but I, you know, we'll wrap it with that. And thanks so much for your time. Um, You know, it feels like maybe like almost a, 
uh, we started with your bio, but I think we could end with, you know, you went through how you're an artist and you're a leader and you're an educator and you're a husband and you're a father. And, you know, these things, you, you really seem to have a North Star um, outside of all the accolades that you've had, you know, as a photographer and everything. So thanks for sharing all of that with us and um, look forward to circling back with you in the future. And thanks, Corey, yeah, for please. holding it down. Thanks, guys. Yeah, man. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk soon. Take care of the fam.